Welcome to those of you who are watching online this morning. I want to remind you uh, just to continue to pray for our team in El Salvador. They've arrived safely, and if you can imagine, all of their luggage arrived with them. It is a small, small miracle, um, so we're grateful for that. Remember this afternoon, Pastor Sandy will be preaching in El Salvador, so pray, be thinking about her with the time change. It's in a couple of hours from now, but be remembering to pray for her. There's a prayer guide at the Welcome Center as well, if you need, so you can pray kind of day, day in and day out with them. And we also wanted to remind you of Madeline Allard to continue to pray for her. She is or will be going to, on a mission trip, a medical mission trip here for a few weeks, and so we ask that you be remembering her also. We're continuing our study today in the book of Acts, so I'd invite you to turn there to Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, starting, at verse, or starting on page 1705 in the Red Pew Bibles, uh, we'll be reading at verse 26, um, Acts chapter 8. In our first week in this series, we talked about Acts chapter 1, verse 8, kind of being um, the template or the agenda for what God was going to do through the church in the book of Acts. It says in chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was the home base for the church, but the ministry of the church would continually move outwards, which would mean that the church would continue to have to cross borders and boundaries and uh, lines that had separated them from other people again and again. Some people suggested that the church moved outwards, but it did so kicking and screaming as it went. Now, if you remember, when we, a few weeks ago, we looked at the story where the Holy Spirit comes in Jerusalem, they preach the gospel there, the, ch the church then goes to Samaria, and there's a small revival, and today we're going to read about our very first con Gentile convert through the ministry of the church, because God is always moving us outwards into the world in mission. So let's read together Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. I'm going to read a few verses, talk about them, read a few verses, talk about them, uh, and then we'll, we'll be done here. This is an incredible story. This is the beginning of really, for you and I, as the Gentile church, our story. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There was two roads, but he gave him specific directions about which one to go. So we started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So Philip is appointed in Acts chapter 6 to be really one of the first deacons, one of the first servants of the church to be responsible for the daily distribution of bread, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And he hears the Spirit speak to him twice and he follows. First, go down towards Gaza, go through this area to a place I'm going to show you, and then go and kind of stand by the chariot. And he does this. He responds to the Holy Spirit's promptings in his life. Then Luke introduces us to what I'm going to call today the international man of mystery for this group of Jewish believers, an Ethiopian eunuch, government official, who just happens to be traveling down the road reading from a portion of the scroll of Isaiah. Let me tell you why he's the man of mystery. First of all, he's wealthy, he's in a chariot. 
In the ancient world, if you were poor, you walked. If you were middle class, you rode a donkey. If you were wealthy, you rode in a chariot. This man was wealthy. And he's from Africa. Oftentimes in the ancient writers, when they talked about Africa, they would call it Ethiopia. So we don't know exactly if he's from the area of Ethiopia, but he's an African government official. And it's good for you and I to remember that in the first few hundred years of the church, Africa was the heartbeat of the church. And that the largest Christian library in the world, in the ancient world, was in Africa. Christianity then spread to Europe and ultimately came to North America. And then North Americans thought we should send missionaries to Africa. Of course, the Spirit and God had been working there since the very beginning of the church. Luke also says this man is a eunuch, meaning he was castrated at birth. Now, eunuchs were oftentimes favorite hires for government jobs. And their thinking was this. If a person's sexual organs were gone, then maybe their sexual drive would also be gone. And if a person had their sexual drive removed, they would have more focus and energy to carry out their jobs. So they became kind of the people that people chose to work for governments. And Luke makes an interesting mention that this man had been on his way to the temple which I think is maybe why Luke included here that he's a eunuch. That doesn't seem like the kind of thing that normally you would include. Because in Jewish holiness code, eunuchs were not allowed in the temples. They were not allowed to gather with the people of God for worship. And you can see kind of Luke crafting us a scenario here. It also adds that he was a God-fearer. We, don't know, he, we know he was not a Christian to this point, but he had some familiarity with faith, some familiarity with the Jewish scriptures, and was reading it. And it's amazing to me that when we, because in our day when we think about the Bible, you have Bible on your phone, you have probably Bibles in your house, there's Bibles in, the, in a world where there's lots of Bibles. In the ancient world, to have your own personal Bible was unheard of. But this man has purchased at great cost a section of the scroll of Isaiah. Unheard of that a Gentile would have a section of the scriptures and he's reading it as he's traveling back in his limousine. This is not your normal passerby. Let's keep reading Acts chapter 8, 29 to 31. The spirit again tapped Philip on the shoulder and said to him, go to that chariot to that limousine, and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. So the spirit prompts Philip to go and kind of hang out around this limousine and stay near it. And Philip puts on a clinic for us as we think about sharing faith or having faith conversations with other people. First, he's responsive to the Holy Spirit and goes where the spirit leads him. But then as he shows up, he listens to what this is going on in this man's life. He does not come in with an agenda. He listens. And as he listens, he entertains this man's question. And the man asks him the greatest question about trying to understand this passage of Scripture. And Philip then responds, pointing him to Jesus. But then something incredible happens, and maybe it's probably lost on you and I, fellow Gentiles. But the, the, the Ethiopian invites him to come up into the chariot with him. Now, when I read that verse, my heart skips a beat. And I just pause 
and think about how significant the ask was, but also how significant this decision is for Philip. I don't know if the Ethiopian eunuch would have known this, but this invitation was breaking all of the holiness rules that young Philip would have grown up in. As a good Jewish boy, you don't jump up into the cabin or into the chariot of a Gentile eunuch, someone who religiously was unclean. I mean, the Ethiopian gentleman might as well have invited him up for a pork chop dinner. I mean, this was kind of uh, what was going on in this passage. Philip grew up learning, you don't eat that, you don't go there, and you don't touch this. Also, you don't go hang out with them. You don't eat what they're eating, and you don't touch them. And this way of thinking was ingrained into Philip's very DNA, that people become impure by actions, by being in specific places, eating certain foods, and touching certain things. This was Philip's upbringing. And it reminds us of the impo- understanding the importance of the holiness code. Let me just give you a quick reminder. God is like the sun, which is good. The sun brings life to the world. It warms us and it makes things grow. And the closer you get to the sun, the more dangerous it is. Not because the sun is bad, but because it's good. In the same way, God is holy and we are not holy. And the closer we get to God, when we have impurities, in the old covenant, it was dangerous. This is why God told Moses, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. This is why God told Moses, you can't see me, cover your eyes, I'll show you just the back side of me as you go by. It was a way of mercy. And now, Luke has Philip standing at the base of this chariot trying to decide whether he's going to jump up in and sit with this man. You don't sit with unholy Gentile eunuchs. And I can't help but wonder if he paused, if he hesitated, if he was reluctant, if he looked around to see if any of his good Jewish friends were watching him. But he does it. He gets up into the chariot. And Philip wasn't being a rebel He wasn't being disrespectful to his upbringing. He was being faithful to the work that Jesus had accomplished on the death and in his resurrection and through the coming of the Holy Spirit that had dawned a new day for the church. In fact, the Old Testament prophets had been warning and foreshadowing that this time was coming when the holiness code essentially would be reversed. Think about it this way. It's so significant. The old way of thinking was if an unholy thing touches a holy thing, the holy thing becomes unclean. That was the system that he had grown up in. We can imagine in our context, because we've been living with contamination and worrying about catching things from other people for the past three years. If I have COVID and I cough my hand and shake your hand, I've probably just made you, in some chances, unclean as well. But the prophet spoke of a different day, a day when things would get reversed, when if a holy thing made contact with an unholy thing, the holiness traveled to the unholy thing and made it pure and healed it and redeemed it. Or to use our COVID example, if, I have, if you don't have COVID and I do and you shake my hand, you take mine away from me. You have that cleansing power. This is a profound game changer. Let me give you two examples from the Old Testament. 
Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision where God extends this call towards Isaiah that's holy and pure towards Isaiah's self-proclaimed unholy lips. And what happens? Not the normal thing. The normal thing would be if the holy coal touched his unholy lips, the coal is now filthy, unclean. But instead, in this time, when the holy thing touches the unholy thing, the holiness gets transferred and it's healed and he's redeemed. Ezekiel chapter 47, God gives this vision to Ezekiel of a river flowing that is pure and clean, and it touches the Dead Sea. Let me read it for you, Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 8 and 9. This river flows toward the eastern region region, and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea was 10 times more salty than the Bay of Fundy. Nothing lived in it. It was dead. And what happens when the pure, clean water flows into a salty sea? When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes what? Fresh. This is unheard of. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Now we know this. We live in St. John. We have rivers and we have sea. We have clean water and we have salt water. And when the St. John River flows through reversing falls into the Bay of Fundy, what happens to the river water? It becomes salty. Ezekiel is painting a picture of an opposite happening, that the clean water from the river flows into the ocean, and when it makes contact with the ocean, the ocean becomes clean. It becomes pure. And the dead water comes to life. And this is revolutionary. We see this captured in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, the perfect, pure one, walks up to sinful, broken people. He lays his hands on them, and what happens? His life goes to them. Why am I telling you all this? Because Philip's been invited to jump up into the chariot of this Gentile eunuch, someone in his old way of thinking who was unclean. And he gets up in there because he remembers because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's been reversed. That God's spirit now indwells his church to go out into the world and to make contact with the world so that the life of God can be transferred to people through our ministry. In fact, I think this image of Philip jumping up into the chariot is a great image for you and I to wrestle with. What does it mean to be the church today? Because the greatest challenge for us as the church is how we think about ourselves and how we think about our calling. How we think about what we exist for. If our job is to stay pure and holy and stay away from all kinds of those people, that's not the New Testament vision for the church. The Spirit falls in the church and says, Pack your bags, we're moving outwards. We're crossing boundaries. We're going to unholy places so that the good news of Christ can be found there. Philip had to change his mindset. He had to have a conversion, a repentance in his own way of thinking from I can't go there because I will be unclean to I must go there because I now embody the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we remember as the church that we now are living examples of that ourselves. Because there was a time when we were unclean, we were unholy, 
And God's spirit reached out to us, made contact with our hearts, and filled us. And now we have life. So, this international man of mystery is traveling down this road, and Philip goes to him. Let's keep reading verse 31 to 38. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, please, tell me, who is the prophet talking about himself, like Isaiah, or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, I love that Luke is capturing here the work that the Holy Spirit has to do in Philip's heart. He's responsive. He goes to these locations. He's wrestling with, can I go up into that chariot? Can I sit with him? But God is also at work in the life of this Ethiopian government official. He, he's reading this passage of Scripture, and he's got questions. And he's captured by this vision of whoever this passage is about that was humiliated, that denied their own rights and remained silent unto death. This vision of God coming to us, suffering for us, taking upon himself the sins of the world. There's nothing like it in any religion. And when the Ethiopian realizes that it is Jesus who did this for him to provide salvation for someone like him, his heart is captivated and it becomes a good news day for him. And he wants to be baptized. Now, while he was reading Isaiah chapter 53, uh, just a few pages over in Isaiah chapter 56, interestingly enough, there's also good news for this Ethiopian eunuch, for it reads, for this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple, within my temple, and its walls, a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So here is this man on a spiritual pilgrimage. He goes up to the temple, is likely not welcomed in. He buys a scroll. He's on his way home asking spiritual questions. And what does the Lord do? He taps Philip on the shoulder and says, Go, take good news to that man. Point him to me. That God sees people who are lost and struggling and trying to find their way. And God speaks to you and I, the church, to be the people who get tapped on the shoulder by the Holy Spirit, who live our lives with an openness and a readiness to go and help people see this Jesus. And he opens his heart, he goes down into the waters on the side of the road, and he's baptized. And just as that pure river water flows into the sea and purifies it, that water from that ditch rolls over his life and makes him new. 
Friends, we need a fresh vision for what it means to be the church today. And this passage to me of Philip jumping up into the chariot captures it. The spirit of the church to go to the places that God is calling us to go. To be the good news, to share the good news, to point people in the struggles and the challenges and the questions that they might have to the amazing story of Jesus and what he offers to us. So I'm going to invite the team to come back up, and we're going to sing here in a second. But I want to throw some questions your way. These are questions I've been thinking about from this passage, and uh, let me inflict them on you as well, if I may. Who are the people in your world who are seeking, who are searching? Where is God work around you? Where are the places God's Spirit is working in people's lives and He's calling you to show up and be the Philip in that situation? What chariots do we need to step up into? Where have we been thinking, I don't think I can go there. I don't think I can talk to that person. What are the chariots at home, at work, at school? Is there a conversion and a repentance in our own way of thinking that needs to happen So we drop this kind of Old Testament holiness code and remember that God has now indwelled us with his spirit, so calls us to go out into the world to be the bearers of good news. Willie Jennings, a a wonderful theologian, wrote a commentary on the book of Acts, and I underlined this section, so I thought I would share it with you. He wrote this, the gospel teaches us to desire the people we have been taught are not desirable. A repentant heart to change us so that we can be the church today. So that we can hear more and more stories of people discovering the good news of Christ and the wonderful mercy he has for their life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story and for this image of Philip jumping up into the chariot, stepping into what you were already doing, He did not need to create anything or manufacture anything. He was present and followed your Spirit's leading in that moment. Lord, may we, as Paul would say, keep in step with your Spirit in our own lives and have eyes and ears to pay attention to the places you might be calling us because you're already at work there. You're already doing something in the lives of the people around us. May we be found faithful. 